Hey guys, welcome back to Vertical Momentum. I'm your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. Guys, this is going to be a great episode. We're going to be talking about some fun things. We're going to be talking about things that are near and dear to my heart. Fitness, first responders, keto, maybe a little bit of Free, shoe, free Shoes University. Well, we might talk about FSU too. Um, yes. I'm a big Hurricane fan, but I'm a big FSU guy too. Uh, so guys, welcome to my friend Eric, law, law enforcement officer, changing the lives, helping veterans get healthy physically, mentally. Uh, so Eric, brother, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. Man, thanks for having me on, man, and give me a chance to tell my story and spread some uh you know, positive vibes out to the people that need some help with their nutrition and PTSD and all, you know, all other, you know, issues. And by the way, you got a beautiful son. He's amazing. So his birthday's coming up in, in January. So I'm going to have to get him something because my birthday's uh, coming up in January. So I got to make sure that I remember him for his birthday. Uh, that's all good, so, man. So my first question is, what is your definition of resiliency? Well, you know, my it's overcoming obviously something that you're an obstacle that you never thought you could overcome. You know, my issue happened to be a shooting where I got shot in the line of duty and killed a suspect that shot me along with another officer. And then what's happened after that from the weight gain, some of the depression, some of the anxiety, some of the uh, roller coaster, you know, not only diet, but mentally I was going through led to heart disease and all kinds of issues. I was, they wanted to put stents in me. And so I ended taking my nutrition and my health back. You know, I took it back. I really started diving into statins, diabetes, knowing how to read my blood work was one of the biggest challenges I had to do. I mean, I could write a search warrant, but I didn't know how to read my blood work. Right. I thought that was kind of a problem. So I dove into that world, man, and I became resilient. And I found out how, you know, eating proper food and avoiding a lot of things, you know, that are bad for you from the environment and stress ended up healing me. And I lost 80 pounds in a year and a half. And I cured my heart disease. My freaking, all my numbers are fantastic. My A1C is 5.1. You know, I did it through diet, not through medicine. And I worked out, but I didn't work out like that. I wasn't doing CrossFit training or anything like that. It was just more of watching what I was eating, staying active, and then mentally deciding to retire and not ride it out until, you know, I get too old to enjoy the retirement. And once I gave up that stress of that job, I took off, you know, and it's been the best decision ever made. All right. So let's, let's, let's get into it because you reminded me of a friend of mine. His name is Mr. Brock Bevel. Um, he was actually, he's a retired police officer, officer involved shooting, same thing, um, had to deal with some PTSD. And then he, then he got into other stuff that I'll let him tell his story, but so take us back to the day before the shooting, what you were like the day before. Then take yeah. us to that and then take us to that moment of the shooting and then take us to the moment the day after. Because the day before you were a different person. The day right. of the shooting, when it happened, you became a different person. And the next day you were a totally different person. So take us back to those three days. Yeah, even two years later, I was a different person, you know, but the day before was a Monday, typical Monday shift coming off the weekend, probably uh, it was June. So I probably was watching baseball or something like that. Some summer sport, maybe NBA. Yeah, yeah, it was NBA finals. 
So Tuesday comes along and I play basketball a lot, a couple of times a week. And I was scheduled to play that Tuesday night and I was one of 10 players. So all the guys that play hoops know if you're one of 10 and you don't show up, they mess everything up because there's nine guys. You got to play half court. One guy's got to sit. So I was really, uh -uh, I'm one of the 10 guys. So I put in time to leave that day. And, you know, I had a five month old son at the time. So I was adjusting to being a new dad, you know, and that weekend was going to be Father's Day. So we were kind of arranging a little get together my first Father's Day and, you know, other relatives, you know, father-in-law coming over and stuff like that. So I remember getting ready to play hoops, you know, later on that day, I had my gear with me and, you know, a bolo goes, goes out about, I guess, about an hour before I was scheduled to leave. And, you know, bank robbery, armed suspect, you know, he fled the scene in a red car with a white top and bolo went out. And usually, you know, you respond to the area. We're all boloing, you know. And then I end up coming across the suspect. You know, I don't know how much you want me to keep talking because then it turned into a pursuit and all Bro, kinds this, of this, eerie this, stuff. This is, this is all okay. about you, brother. It's not about me. It's all about well, you. Well, the car originally came out as a Crown Vic, you know, and then the car I had spotted was a Lincoln Town car. But, you know, people mess up cars all the time, especially a coupe style looking one that's kind of rounded off. And we got behind the suspect, didn't panic, just thought, ah, you know, it's got a handicap tag, calling it out the dispatch. And all of a sudden the guy stops in the road. You know, I didn't light him up, you know, to make him stop. He stopped on his own because he knew I was behind him. So I turn on my lights and we sit there for about five seconds. I'm waiting on backup. No use, you know, nothing's going down right now. He's in the car. I'm at a safe distance. I'm just going to stay here. You know, if I was younger, maybe I would have jumped out like all nervous and stuff. But I was just trying to be calm and wait for backup, you know, and he takes off. So now I'm like, oh, I think I got my bank robber, right? So now the pursuit's on. And our DUI guy's coming on shift that night. He gets behind me. And we're in a little pursuit for about maybe a mile total through parking lots. He clips a couple of cars. Never enough to damage his vehicle. Meanwhile, I'm driving the Crown Vic, you know, and it, it's sliding a little bit. It's an older Crown Vic, you know, how departments are. But, you know, it was my baby. And it hung in there, man. It made all the turns, you know, all the freaking driving training and everything was kicking in. And he took this quick turn down a, like a side road, an industrial neighborhood, you know, where some railroad tracks are and stuff like that. And most people don't know that area. And I'm like, ah, maybe he's a local boy. You know, he's probably going to bail out. Right. That's what they do. They, you know, go back home, bail out. So all of a sudden he takes a left turn too, too tight and he hits another car head on and he comes to a sudden stop. And I'm not, you know, I'm going 60 miles an hour catching up with him. So I don't really pull up in the best tactical spot. And as I go to get out, waiting on, you know, what's he going to do? Because there's smoke coming off the other car. Now we, had a, we got a victim over there. So a lot of stuff playing in my head, right? And I get the gun out and I'm looking at the car and all of a sudden I see the door swinging. And then it's pop, 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 pop. And it's like, oh, shit, I'm being shot at. So I start returning fire. And I think I hit the house behind him a couple of times because I was just almost doing like suppression fire. Like, give me a minute, you know, and I got over to like a telephone pole. The other officer is firing back where he was, you know, and on the YouTube video, you see him in one video and then you see me. Eventually you see me. But we finally come together and we just start laying around, sound, you know, and I think we went through we shot 38 times. You know, I went through one mag reloaded smoothest transition in a, you know, for my mag ever, man. It was just everything worked out. Some told me, dude, you're about to run out. And I looked slide, went back, clip, boom. 
right back in it, man. I, oh man, I wish I was time. I mean, in reality, I was probably shaking and all that, but in my head, everything was just, I was fine to machine at that point. And he kept moving, man. He kept moving. We approached a vehicle, but we couldn't see the gun and we fired more rounds. I mean, I remember firing four rounds point blank right through the uh, window, you know, and then we backed off. SWAT got there, took over. And then I looked down, I got a hole through my, a hole through my shoe and I'm starting to feel the pain in my foot and in my leg. And I'm like, Oh, you got me, you know? So we ended up, you know, then going the ambulance and that whole thing, you know, the fire department or, you know, transporting me. And I remember asking the paramedic, Hey, what happened to that bad guy? Cause I never got to see what happened. And he's like, Oh, he's dead, man. He's full of holes. And I was like, wow, we just killed a guy. Bam. There's where it changes. It's like, uh Oh, uh Oh, okay. Is everything right? Did he have a gun? Yeah. Yeah. I got shot. You know, you just start replaying, you know, you're going through everything. Am I going to be mm -hmm. indicted? That was my first concern. Am I going to get in trouble for this? Did I follow policy? My department going to back me? That's a shame. That's the first thing you got to think of. But now it's survival mode that you're in. Yeah. You no, know, obviously, I think, think about my wife and kid. You know, I call her. She's at home with the baby screaming. I'm like, hey, I got a, I got nicked in a little car chase. I'm getting some stitches at the hospital. She's like, OK, well, let me know. Talk to you later. Bye. You know, and then I called my boy about basketball. And he was all bummed. I go, dude, I can't make it. And he's like, what do you mean you can't make it? You're number 10. I got shot, dude, on my way to the hospital. He's like, you called me on your way to the hospital after getting shot? I go, well, I didn't want to let you down. He's like, dude, get out of here. He hung up. So, you know, go to the hospital, have the uh, bullet fragments being pulled out of my foot, you know, and treated and was released that night, you know, and finally saw my wife and kid and, you know, kind of processing everything all night long. You know, I remember watching basketball. I think it was the Heat versus Oklahoma City you know, when they had Durant and all the boys. And I remember popping a Percocet and I had a stiff vodka and I was enjoying the game and the Heat lost. I was like, how did he lose on a day I got shot? Because I was a Heat fan. And the news came on. It was like, dun, 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 tonight at 11. Another officer shot in the line of duty. And I was like, holy cow, another cop? And then the story's about me. But they didn't say my name yet, right? And I'm like, wow. And then I started seeing it everywhere. You know, and then, you know, you start getting text messages. Hey, dude, I just heard blah, blah, blah. And then start snowballing, you know, and you're like, wow, you know, I don't know if you want to ask me anything because I can go on and I don't want to keep babbling. But you might have a question about maybe the suspect or the car chase itself. I'm not sure. You know, it, you know because the reason why I wanted to talk about it is um, because and I think my show is one of the only shows where we actually talk about officers and veterans struggling with moral injury because a lot of veterans, first responders, and we can speak Frank on this show because we're mostly veterans and first responders. We curse a lot yeah. anyway, but yeah. um, a lot of us see shit and do shit that no human being should ever see or do. So, um, when you're forced to take somebody else's life, that's a moral injury that never really gets talked about. And right. like we talk about, okay, you know, like if we got shot, we, you know, we could deal with that. You know, we can deal like with I'm 80% blind because it's something stupid. I can deal with that, but right. taking somebody else's life, that's something that nobody ever really talks about. So that's why I yeah. wanted to talk about, you know, what, what, what was going on there. So yeah, it's, deep, it's 
it's deep to be involved with a life is lost like or taken and it was him or us at that point don't get me wrong i don't feel guilty for that part mm-hmm. but i didn't get into police work to go killing people you know so yeah there is something there and it's just like damn you know you just like you could have given up bro you know but you did it so to you yourself said that, that, you said that was a tuesday right yeah it was june 12th 2012 and that's the same two dates as uh oj whacked his well, i'm sorry allegedly whacked his wife in uh the waiter and then also the pulse nightclub shooting was june 12 2016 so that t- june 12th has always just been a date for me since that date you know and i followed it i looked it up and all kinds of bad stuff happens on that date you know and i look at my wife's date and it's like oh butterflies were invented or some something like that you know and i'm like man yours is so nice maybe that's why i'm supposed to be with you you know but so yeah what it's, was that what was that Wednesday like? I remember I had to go to hospital or doctor's office and my sergeant came, pick me up, you know, I was on crutches in a boot and, you know, they had to restitch the wound and do some extra stuff. And I had to fill out my workers comp paperwork, you know, can't forget that. Got to get me over there, you know, to make sure that, you know, that's taken care of. Cause I ended up fighting with them later on to get treatment for PTSD. So my relationship with them isn't very, I'm not very fond of them, so. Because most people don't realize most police officers, the good, never have to draw their weapon and right. fire at a suspect. Because everybody thinks, oh, well, everything they see on TV is like, no, it's not, it's not that way at all. Because I'm friends with a lot of cops, a lot of first responders. But a lot of people think, oh, cops are always drawing their weapon. They're like, most cops don't even draw their weapon once in their career, never mind having to take somebody's life. That's why I wanted to talk about that. I want to dig a little, little bit deeper, but I want to thank one of our friends, a friend of mine, sponsoring the show. If you ever watched that show, Forged in Fire, on the, on the History Channel, he's one of the guys that that actually made the show. It, it was in the finals. And awesome. He actually, made, he actually made this for me. It's a uh, hand see, look, look at my weak one. I need to get one of them, man. This is weak yeah. sauce. It's a hand forged Damascus knife, and he does so much work for veterans and first responders. So Christmas is coming, guys. I'm actually getting one made for my best friend. He's he's my brother-in-law, my cousin, and we're, he's a big fisherman. So I'm actually getting a hand hand carved knife with his initials on it. So guys, Christmas is coming. Um, if you want to get something nice for your father, your brother, your husband, check out Mike's Damascus knives. And if you order. Letting them know that we sent you free shipping to anywhere in the United States. So I just wanted to put that out there. So, um, so talk to us because now you work. I mean, you know, okay. Eventually, I'm sure you talk to your sergeants and you talk to your brass. You know that you're not going to get jammed up because you were doing the right thing. But right. now, what was your what was it like healing up? And did you get back on the street after that? Well, at first it was pretty cool because you're like hero, right? Everyone's like, awesome job, brother. You know, you're getting all kinds of people reaching out. You're hearing the state attorney says you're cleared. And you're like, whew, all right, I'm good, you know? And then I got to, you know, I finally heal up three months later. I go back to rope patrol again. And at that point I was on the job 12 years. I've been in different special units, some bike units, some, you know, jump out team stuff. So I was contemplating, you know, FTO and maybe sergeant that that route you know i wasn't quite sure yet but i was around that time and i remember uh getting back out there and everything's a little bit different you know i remember going to a call it was a regular alarm call that we get so many times you know and walking around the 
side of the house with the other officer and he goes one way and you know you're checking windows and sliders and i see a bicycle there and i'm like oh, that's all right it's just a bike and then we find the sliding glass door in the back one of them slides open so in my head burglar's bike someone's inside trip the alarm let's go right clear the whole house nothing false alarm owner's bike he left the slider open or whatever i couldn't come down man for like the rest of the shift i was like woo thinking i was about to be in another combat situation even though you potentially always are i couldn't control it anymore and it turns out i learned you know my central nervous system was taking over and just kind of mm -hmm. protecting me so i didn't realize it at that time and it kept happening on different calls until i had my gun pointed at a shoplifter that fled from us i found him hiding and just because he's a shoplifter doesn't mean he's not wanted for other stuff you know and i read those fbi statistics and how cops get whacked that you know the strangest things sometimes so I'm really there. And I have him come out and he puts his hands in his pocket. I got my hand right on the gun and I didn't shoot, but I got up on him, got him to the ground and a handcuff and I'm asking, why'd you reach in your pocket, dude? And he's like, I was just getting my ID, man. I never had a gun pointed at me. And I was like, gosh, dude, I could have wasted you just for that. Right. And that played with me. Cause I was like, man, I almost shot that guy. It was just, you know, a drug addict stealing some stuff from Walmart or something, you know, didn't deserve to die, you know? So that started so, playing with me. So then, because a lot of people, like I said, I was with GNC for almost over 30 years. And a lot of people don't realize that once your central nervous system is just completely going, your body starts to break down. You're not sleeping as well. Your inflammation is through the friggin' roof. Yeah. Um, so what was your body doing during this time? Because obviously, if your stress levels are up, your stress hormones are up. You might be gaining weight because of your stress hormones. So what was, what was going on with your body at this time? Well, within six months of that time, you know, I gained some weight because I was sitting at home with a bad foot, right? I couldn't really jog and do stuff. So I was playing like Assassin's Creed and drinking vodkas or something, right? So, yeah, I put on some weight, you know, about 10, 10 pounds or so. But I carried it okay. You know, I was already carrying about 30 pounds already. So it didn't really matter at that point. But... I knew that my later on finding out that my cortisol levels were just skyrocketing, you know, and for me to calm down, I was drinking, you know, there was no other, I wasn't going to get pills. I wasn't, what else was I going to do? You know, you couldn't use CBD or anything at that point, mm -hmm. you know, how do I turn it off? Right. That was the biggest thing for me. So I was drinking, you know, and then that would numb it, but then, you know, it, you know, you drink too much then bad food choices. And it was just a constant cycle. But I was lucky enough, six months later, I got an evidence job that he posted. It was a desk job, Monday to Friday, banker hours, no competition with vacations. I worked with another evidence custodian. I was the only sworn guy in the unit. And, you know, I learned that, you know, a lot of people would have hated it, but I loved it, man. It took me off the road, it made me a better father at that point because I could work a normal schedule. But it just, it was hiding the symptoms is all it's doing at that point. You know, I still didn't address what was going on. I still listened to the radio, still carried a gun, still drove a police car. Every time my family went somewhere, it was still there, you know, so I, I still wasn't able to control it, you know, and then I started thinking about it, broke down to a boss that I trusted who was in a critical incident himself. And he goes, you got to go, you know, you got to go through, uh, oh man, it was right at the tip of my tongue, the uh, employment assistant EAP. He goes, you should go to EAP. I got from her diagnosed with the PTSD. And she goes, you should file it under your foot. 
claim because I still had an open claim for my foot and my leg from being shot. So then I piggyback off of that. And then I battle workers comp to finally get the therapies, talk to a psychologist, you know, and they had me break down from, you know, a whole board full of lawyers, all kinds of stuff, you know, but I did it. And then I finally saw the doctor and he was awesome. Dr. Barnett. And he goes, Eric, you have to learn how to dance with this man. Cause it's not going away. You know, your central nervous system's taken over. It's telling you I'm in control. Now we tried it your way once almost got us killed. We got to try it this way. You're not going to sleep as well. You're going to be a lot more irritable. You're going to be more protective of your family. You know, you're not going to go out and see people. You're not going to go to the movies. You're not, you know what I'm saying? You're not going to let your wife and kid go out places. And that's totally what was happening at that point. So he helped me so much. Sorry. I started thinking about it. Um, he, <clears throat> he really saved me. Cause then I was like, man, I finally got answers to this. This is why I'm feeling like this. This is what, you know, why I'm up in the middle of the night checking doors, you know, but whoo, man, thanks. Very therapeutic, by the way, that any of you guys that suffer, talk about it, get it out, you know, because that shit's real and it haunts you if you don't fucking address it. So anyways, that's what, that's what this show is all about, brother. That's what, no, I know. About. It's been a while since I really dove down into the psychological end of things, you know, and <clears throat> I was sick mentally, you know, obviously metabolically sick, probably, you know, I didn't get tested for it, but it definitely was pre-diabetic at that point. I was 60 pounds overweight, you know, even though I was trying to out, you know, work out the weight wasn't working, you know, and finally I found the ketogenic way of eating because of a friend of mine and he's, dude, it's low inflammatory. You'll, mm -hmm. you'll see. And I just, I read about it. I go, you know what? Why not? You know, he lost 50 pounds. He was an example right for me. And I dove into it, you know? And so with the therapy and then changing my diet and then getting off my butt, sitting at work, I got one of those desks that goes up and down, you know, and I got a stool that rolled so I can just be moving around and, you know, changing my diet, help my energy level. You know, I got one of those little counters. Let's see how many steps I got today, right? walk and it motivated me and then the weight just started shredding off of me and six months later i was down 50 pounds and this is back in 2018 so it was just you know once i found out why i was feeling like that with the struggles of ptsd why i was gaining weight i was able to dive into this therapy to help me you know and i ended up helping a lot of other guys too because we all suffer you know you know and one thing i know uh, i love doing keto and my friend jerry brazy um i've had him on the show He's a multimillionaire and he eats like two pounds of steak today. He's, he's a freaking, he's a beast. Uh, but he talks about, I know what, like when I, when I go on a, a more heavier um, carnivore diet, I feel so much better. I yeah. sleep so much better. I'm not getting up in the middle of the night to pee like a racehorse because my body is in tune. And I feel better because I know that I don't have all that extra sugar and crap in me. So, yep. but now when you, you're still on the job at this point, right? You're still working a full-time job. Yeah. I stayed in evidence seven years. I still did details. You know, I still had to be on hurricane, you know, 12 hour alpha shifts. And, you know, that would beat me up too. Cause the last thing I wanted to do is risk my life to fight for the citizens. When I had a family at home with two kids, you know, I was thinking about them a lot more, you know, they were my priority, not like it used to be. And, so, yeah, I stayed on there until 2019 when I turned 50, and then that's when I walked. All right. So because I, I want to talk about that because obviously you got my book. Uh, my book actually hit number one twice. Um, cool. But a lot of people 
don't realize in the military or if you're a veteran or if you're a first responder, if you're an athlete, we all have a shelf life. No matter if you're a rookie, you never see 90-year-old police officers. You're going to have to hang up that uniform eventually. And for me, everything was being Sergeant Kaufman until I was no longer Sergeant Kaufman. Well, I didn't know who I was. And that was the day that I attempted suicide, April Memorial Day, I mean, Labor Day 2012, because I didn't know who I was. Who's Richard now? I've been Sergeant Kaufman, just like a police officer might be. I've I've been officer so-and-so. Well, who is, you know, who am I now? So what was it like hanging up the uniform for that final time? Because a lot of people, whether you're in the military or you're a police officer, once you step off base or step out of the precinct, a lot of us lose our career. A lot of us lose the camaraderie and a lot of us um, lose our mission. And unfortunately, police officers talk to police officers, veterans talk to veterans. And then when you're no longer on the job, the phone stops ringing. So what was your transitioning like out of the police department? Well, I had a couple of things happen. Um, one of them, I found a cop brother that summer before I retired. Um, he was a cop in Orlando. I had done a 23andMe DNA test in 2016. And that July of 2019, I'm retiring three months later, I get an email from this guy and he's like, hey, I'm your half brother. I'm a cop in Orlando. Can you believe that? And I'm like, what? So we ended up uh, doing news conferences. It went pretty viral. Went all the way to like Switzerland. We were on Fox and Friends in the morning with our Class A uniforms talking about two, you know, 2019, they love cops. It wasn't the year of the riots yet, you know? So everything was great, man. And he had been RVing and camping for like 10 years. And my wife was slowly trying to get me into this whole RV camping life, full-time life. And I camped with Dave and I was like, man, I think I can do this. So retiring was this sense of we're selling our house, getting this mobile home. We're going to travel the country and we're going to find a place in a couple of years that we want to call home. And I figured I'd fall back into some something, maybe school board cop, evidence technician somewhere, maybe at a police department. So I didn't think I was going to give it up 100 percent. But I had a harder time this this last October now my certification is null and void. It's done now. Four years is up. Before, I always had a little hint. Well, I could always get back if I had to, you know, because I worked so hard to get to become a cop. You know, my mom's a retired Miami-Dade cop from 30 years. I didn't have anything easy for me getting on because in my FSU days, I party a little bit too hard. So my background kept DQing me all the time. So I had to wait for the statute of limitations to get by to get hired. So I love being a cop, but giving it up, you know, I'm, I'm still on duty every day. I'm telling you right now, I'm still helping people. I helped the lady at the park the other find her keys, you know, helping people with car issues. I'm still on patrol, you know, but I'm just not working for the city anymore. And now I have, I'm not getting into every interact, you know, I'm not getting in the middle of everything. Sorry, that was a B. I'm not going crazy. And uh, it was just, yeah, the PTSD. Ah! But no, I, you know, sure. I just. It was I, a B. Sure. It was. <laughs> yeah, man. So I uh, made me knock out my earplugs. (laughs) No, but, you know, it's just getting away from it. You know, I still see cops. I still thank them. Same with the military. My dad was in the Air Force. You know, it's all throughout my family. All most of our history. Most of us are still here, have warriors in our you know past. Right. So that helped me. You know, I never missed it. The money, you know, the money was good. 
but you know living down in palm beach county florida was too much the cost of life or cost of living was just too much and we weren't enjoying it you know having try to work two jobs and put our kids here you know it just wasn't conducive to a healthy life so we just changed it all you know and i'm a carnivore now you know i've been carnivore the last four years and keto got me to there i was heavy meat eater as a keto person anyways i just threw vegetables in because i felt guilty you know now i haven't eaten vegetables in freaking three years you know so and once in a while i have french fries on the side not gonna lie if it's a chicken wing football night i might dip into that but for the most part that saved my life man changing my diet understanding what i was putting in my body but giving up the career that's how i ended up with cops and campers you know i started meeting retired cops across the country got into that flag incident in New York where they told me, told me to take down that thin blue line flag. And that went kind of viral. Got suspended from a camping club, Thousand Trails, because they suspended me for two months. So I got invited by other campgrounds. And I said, you know what? We should do this. We should have retreat programs for PTSD, for health and diet, metabolic, metabolic disease. I've got doctors that want to come to our next event in New York in July. And just talk. Bro, I'm in uh -oh. Jersey. You you got to invite me, bro. Yeah, yeah. It's Cops and Campers Part Three. We have a documentary out there on YouTube. If anyone wants to check out and see what it's about, getting guys that don't know each other, but we know each other. If you know what I mean. And we find camping buddies. And next thing you know, a guy instead of thinking he's not part of his old shift anymore, hey, the guys are getting together next weekend at the local state campground. Let's go. You know, and it's just more of us without the pressure of the job. You know, we all have the same stories. We laugh. We make fun of each other. Guys get nicknames. It's the same group that you had before, man. You know, and even that I've seen guys that didn't like each other at the department. Down Now they're camping. They're getting along, you know, because it took that whole rank out of it. You know, a lot of the other issues that go on within a department, that eroded apartment and the camaraderie, it's gone. You know, so check out Cops and Campers if anybody's really looking to get something positive. We're just going nonprofit right now, waiting on my paperwork to come back. And then we're going to launch it and just start spreading the word. We got Michigan. We got Georgia. And obviously, we got New York. We got other states we want to get to because I know they all want to do something fun. You know, now, and one thing that I love is, you know, I, military or police officers. We have that. I can talk to you because we both raised our hands, but I don't have anybody else I can talk to. Like for me, my wife didn't realize my situation until we went to go see um, American Sniper, where Kyle is just sitting watching a TV and the TV isn't on. Mm -hmm. And that's when my wife said, I get it. Now I get it, I see it. And, and that's why I wear this hat in honor of Chris Kyle. I promised Chris's wife that I wear a hat every day to honor Chris Kyle. Uh, but you know, a lot of us, we don't know what to look for if we're a family member of somebody, of an officer or a veteran that might be struggling with post-traumatic stress. So can you give us an idea of what, what things to look for if, if there's husband or wife, even dispatchers? I just had a 9-11 dispatcher come on. What they what their spouses should be looking for? Well, obviously excess drinking. Um, the edginess is something that we all tend to have anyways, you know. So I don't, I wouldn't say, oh, I, you know, he's a jerk sometimes, but it's the timing of stuff, it's a reaction. I would get that I would overreact on something, you know. Maybe it was a big deal, but it wasn't that big of a deal, you know. But the drinking, um, you gotta talk, 
you got to talk to him or her. Um, my wife luckily would ask me questions and I had already learned to save a marriage as a cop. And it's probably with every other first responder or military. You got to communicate about your day to each other. Her day is just as important as your day. You know, mm -hmm. she might be complaining about Sally at work because, you know, whatever. She wears too much perfume. That's a big deal to her. And you have to, you know, appreciate that and be willing to listen to her and vice versa. She's got to ask you, hey, what's going on? And you got to open with her. I told my wife stuff she probably didn't want to hear, you know. And some of the stuff I was going through. And she was the first one to notice I was changing. She said, you're changing. I'm like, no, I'm not. You know, I'm just, I don't want to go out tonight, you know? So listen to your own body's cues. You know that person. If something's changing, don't be scared to say something. Because let's face it, a lot of this ends up in suicide. You know, you don't want to ever go back to that moment and say, man, I wish I would have started off just talking. You may annoy him. You got to tell him, hey. Officer Reynolds, he seek therapy. I was, man, to walk through those apartments knowing everyone knew my business. Hmm. Save my life, though, you know. And, and I get it, brother. Um, but now a lot of people don't know that the average life expectancy for a male in the United States is 78 years old. The, right. the, the life expectancy of a, vet a veteran or a first responder is 59 20 years difference 19 years 20 years difference so yep. what do you think are the reasons of that 20 year difference between the average person and the veterans life expectancy or first responder well obviously listen to you know the job itself i mean every day you're doing combat you know whether you're on, you know overseas or you're at home you know and it, it wears you down and it wears your body down. And, you know, obviously your diet, your stress, you know, you see cops on TV, you know, how many of them really look like they're in that good of shape later in their career, you know, and it's not always because they're eating a bad diet. Like we were saying, you're gaining weight just from the stress, you know, your hormones are kicking in like that. And it's, you know, it's very traumatic to your body. And what happens over that time is the long-term damage, you know, from diabetes that you develop the heart disease, obesity, you know, blood pressure, you know, the hypertension and all that from the job, you know, and guys are holding on. Oh, I got to get that drop money. I got to get that 30 years in so I can retire. And then you spend all your money while you're going to the doctor's offices, you know, it never made sense. You know, and I saw cops retire multiple pensions from the Coast Guard, from our department, and then from the school board, they got vested in three pensions and he lived five years, died of a heart attack. What is that? You know, what kind of quality of life is that? You know, so medications don't help. You know, you can't fix this problem with medication. You're going to delay it. And meanwhile, you're going to cause more damage, whether it's statins, you know, and some of these blood pressure medicines, you know, and nothing against modern medicine, but a lot of them, you know, let's look at the profit train that it is. You know, they don't make money if you're healed, right? If you're healthy. And I hate to say it, it's, it's a God didn't do our medical system. Unfortunately, it's been infected. You know, it's a profit-based medicine now, no no longer healing people. So I would take your health into consideration 100%. You know, if you're suffering through and you're gaining weight, just the sugars are terrible. Carbs are terrible, guys. Come on. This meat thing they're doing, they're trying to poison us with this kibble that they're feeding like dogs. Why do you think our dogs and cats are sick? Come on. I love it. So I'm going to ask you a question that I didn't think I was going to ask. But uh -oh. I just had the producer of Sound of Freedom on. And we were talking about how 
Now, guys, as you guys know, I'm in recovery. I'll be it'll be 35 years January. Um, no drugs or no alcohol. But I'm really interested in what people's opinions are of ayahuasca, microdosing, and I, I hear because I, I watch this show. It's called How to Change Your Mind. I think it was on Netflix, mm-hmm. and it, it talks about how now they're helping using LSD, MDMA, um, and also ayahuasca to help people struggling with PTSD and stuff like that. What are your opinions on that stuff? Shoot, man. If it's in a controlled situation, I think, hey, to each his own. You know, I had my experiences in college. You know, it wasn't with ayahuasca, but let's say, you know, an occasional mushroom party would happen through campus, you know, and that to me back then was some of the most intellectual times of my life. When I look back, some of the the deep, you know, almost like meditation that I do now, you know, when I do stretching and I'm working out, it puts me in the state of mind and I'm able to, you know, observe and think about not only my actions, but day to day stuff and things I have to do. It puts, puts, it slows things down almost like marijuana does too, you know, slow it down. Let's focus on the tasks, you know, because sometimes we're just overstimulated. We all think we're ADHD. It's just we're getting presented with too many ideas. You know, we just need to. And I think the same thing with PTSD. I mean, I did some art therapy where I was able to move some of all the unresolved issues from my front, frontal lobe into, I guess, my post or the rear part of my brain. And there's a lot of trauma that I had in my life, you know, and not anything like sexual trauma or anything like that but i have eight marriages with my two parents i was in multiple schools you know going around in miami and then back to georgia and then being the new kid a lot in different situations and how traumatic that was for me fitting in getting into fights i mean i got paddled in 1983 by the principal like you see in these movies over a desk you know I was surrounded by pedophiles at some of these schools I was going to looking back. So, I mean, it's like, holy cow, I'm lucky to make it out of Miami. And my mom was a homicide sergeant down there. So I was still protected from the, you know, a lot of the issues. But, man, it's just been a pretty crazy situation growing up down there with some of the things. But the trauma, I got resolved. I was able to not to. When I get behind a Lincoln Town car, I used to kind of get worked up a little bit because it would bring me back to that mindset. Like, oh, mm-hmm. shit, that looks just like the car chase that we had. And then I'd be up a little bit, you know. And after that therapy I went through at the University of South Florida, I didn't. Re- it didn't hit right away. The car turned off one day and I'm driving down the road. And I'm like, oh, my God, that was, that was a Lincoln Town car. It didn't hit. It didn't pop up right away. And I called the doctor. I go, I don't know what you did to me, man, but I didn't think about it, you know, as fast as I used to. And he's like, well, that's part of it, you know. So I believe in all types of different therapy. I don't think you can numb it down with drugs that are just going to comatose you. You know, I think you have to explore yourself and really understand the trauma that you're going through, you know. And, hey, I almost got killed that day. The guy could have raised it another freaking foot and a half and I wouldn't be here right now. And that's just the reality of it. I got I made it through that day. You know, I'm dancing with it every day. And then you had the trauma of going to FSU when you could have went to the U. You could have went to Miami. You know, you could have went. You could have went to the U. But this is this is probably too much info. But my mom was at Florida State in 1968, where she got my dad went to visit Mr. Air Force, nice, clean cut guy, right? Knocked her up. So I was actually conceived in Tallahassee. 
and I ended up going back to my my <laughs> homeland to get my degree. That's the way I look at it. So I love it. I love it. Um, and I and I I I think me and you really jam because I'm a big basketball guy. Um, I I love basketball. I'm up every night playing 2K3. That that's my that's my uh, helps me deal with my trauma. I'm I'm up playing basketball at night, rethinking everything in my life, and helps me calm calm down. So I have a basketball. I have a video game that helps me with my trauma. That's my thing. I did so, resident. I did uh, what is it? Assassin's Creed. That whole summer when I was in a, when my foot got injured, I was just at, I, that probably didn't help the PTSD playing games like that. You know, I'm sure. <laughs> All right, so last question, um, last couple of questions. If, say, Private Joe or Joe Snuffy gets out of the military, 43 years old, get, is getting out, probably going to, we all know that he's probably, it's like when you go to college, the freshman 15, the average guy that gets out, a girl that gets out of the military within a year, puts on 20 pounds, becomes pre diabetic or diabetic, and has mental health, health issues and, men, and mental issues. What are your top three pieces of advice for somebody that's just getting out of the military or getting out of being a first responder? What are three things they can do to get their health and their mental health back? Well, first, you have to have positive hobbies. Um, it doesn't have to be, I'm going to work out every day, become a CrossFit guy. You don't have to do that. You got to stay active. You got to stretch. You got to walk. You got to get your vitamin D. You got to get outside in the nature. Okay. You've got to find, are you going to have another career? How stressful is that new career going to be? Is it going to be something that's going to be detrimental to you and your family and any PTSD you already have? You really got to look at that. Find something that you like doing. You always wanted to do and do it. Are you getting a pension at this point? You know, you got to look at that. Do you need to move because of your pension to go further in a smaller area, a smaller town, start homesteading, you know, get, I know some of the therapy I've done working on farms for the summer to get paid meat working with the cows, working with the chickens and the pigs. You don't want to talk about how therapeutic that is. It gets my mind off of things. It's not a dangerous thing unless you fall asleep with the pigs and, you know, or knock yourself out or something, you know, you don't want to be that guy. But um, another thing is you really got to watch your nutrition. I'm sorry, fast food, whether it's Chick-fil-A, they're cooking their food in garbage, seed oils, that oh, stuff is I toxic. I, I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But you're asking that stuff is so bad and it's made to be addicting. I can tell you right now what a double cheeseburger tastes like with bacon, a baconator. I can tell you what a double Whopper with cheese, a big, I can taste it all. I can taste Chick-fil-A. I'm there with you, brother. I, I can taste it, but that's, think about it. They tested that shit on rats to make their rats go to that food. That's not food more than regular, normal food. That's how it's, it's a drug. So when you're driving down the road, think about it. I don't want to be, look at those lines at those places. Mm -hmm. They kept that shit open there in COVID, right? They're worried about people's health. That shit is pure poison. And the businesses that run that aren't in it to make you healthy. Think about it. They're a mob. They're mobsters. They're dirty drug dealers. They're poisoning you. So I would say off of all fast foods, you got to learn about your, you got to learn how to cook. You got to learn, have some chickens. You got to take care of yourself, man, because the government doesn't care. It's a profit-based government right now. And they don't care about you. So that's what I would do. And obviously learn about fasting, learn about, you know, when to eat time of day. There's all kinds yep. of interesting things out there. I fast. I only eat, sometimes I eat once a day, about two o'clock in the afternoon. I'm not hungry later, but that's because I'm eating, like you said, two steaks, 
or I, you know, with, with butter or I'll have bacon, you know, I have all that stuff that I say is bad. And if you want more information, you can follow keto50.com, whatever. All my, I'm out there and all my information's there. I'm surrounded by real medical doctors that follow the same lead. And, you know, and that's who I look up to these guys, you know, cause they saved my life 80 pounds later, best shape of my life. I have never been 100, 176 today. Last time I weighed 176 was eighth grade because I barely made weight for like the 175 little league or whatever. Imagine that. Yeah, I love it. This so now, and I, I, I love that. And like I said, I'm a big steak eater. Anytime I can get it, my wife says, "Honey, you want steak? Hell yeah!" I, and she makes some of the best steak and filet mignon. So I love my wife. So how do we find you? I, by the way, like I said earlier. Your Instagram is fire. I love it. I love everything you're doing. So how do we find your your Instagram? You have a couple different Instagrams, right? For, for both things that you're doing. So how do we find you? All right. It's, it's uh, Keto 5 obviously. 5-F-I-V-E-O. Um, it's named after kind of like Hawaii 5 because when I was at my department, I started, you know, you lose 50 pounds, people notice, you know, and I started helping guys lose weight. Help, same thing. Hey, lay off. Lay off the breads, lay off this. You know, if you're going to drink, lay off the beer. Let's do vodka or let's do a, a whiskey or something like that. You know, and they start just calling me, hey, Keto 5 you know, and I just ran with it. So that's the uh, nutrition side of things. Cops and Campers is my now nonprofit where we get retreats together for therapy and diet and fun and campfires and stories and to make more friends and spread the, you know, the healing process in the retirement, you know, especially after retirement. And also this January, my mom has a character coming up on Netflix. It's going to be a show called Griselda. My mom was a cop during the cocaine cowboy days. She was actually on the Sentac task force back there in 1978 to like, I think 1983. So she actually has an actress playing her that we've interacted with, helped with the dialogue and the script writing on the show. My mom got hired and it's called Griselda. Sofia Vergara is playing Griselda Blanco, the Black Widow, you know, it was back then in the 80s. And mm -hmm. uh, she's going to be on the show and there's going to be a little Keto 5 kid on the show. That's going to be the teenager, I guess, when she comes home from solving homicides. She's going to now probably have a domestic with her teenage son because he can't take mom being such a cool cop, probably. I don't know how they're writing it, but that's just what I'm imagining. They're going to make me kind of soft. I don't know. But. It's good to see my name up there, a little kid playing me. You know, I'm really excited. Like I said, I have no impact on it. But yeah, January, late January, Netflix, Griselda. You get to see my mom and what amazing hero she is to me. I love it. And um, all right. And when you talk to her, thank her for me, for, for her being a first responder. And tell her, like, you. my family appreciates you and her. So, Absolutely. brother, I'm so grateful thank that you. we finally got to hang out. So, guys, make sure you check out his Instagram. Like I said, it's fire. And, guys, make sure, like my T-shirt says, today I decide. Guys, we get to decide to be the victim or the victor. So, guys, if you're if you're watching VM Nation, you're a victor. You're no longer a victim. So, guys, if you want to get healthy, check out the websites. Check out everything that he's doing because he's changing lives. Now I want to go upstairs and have a steak. So I appreciate you, brother. All right, and thank guys, you. Check out what's that? I was just gonna say I have a YouTube channel if you want to see my shooting, it is on there, and I do have some nutrition stuff on there, you know, and other podcasts. What, you, what I've is done. your YouTube? What is your YouTube channel? It's Keto 50. 
and it may ask you to put rentals in, but usually Keto Five O shows up right away. So I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go as soon as we hang up. I'm gonna go there. Um, so guys, I love you guys. Check out verticalmomentumpodcast.com. Our t-shirts, hats, coffee, our, our book is available. This episode will be up there, so make sure you check us out. And I love you guys. And remember, vertical momentum, the only way to go is but oh brother, thank you so much. And I'm truly humbled and grateful for your friendship. All right. I got to send you a challenge coin. I'll get your address. Oh, yeah, because I want to get your address because I want I want to send something to you in the mail probably on Friday. All right, brother. Thank you, man. Right, brother. God bless. Have a great week. All right. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.